Micah chapter 4, continuing through the book of Micah. And I want, uh, we'll go, last week we looked at a chapter, just kind of a reminder and some review, that ended with a very big prophecy that the people definitely would not have wanted to hear. They were very proud of their city. They were proud of the buildings that they had built. And Micah said, Zion, for your sakes, is going to be plowed as a field. This was not a good thing for them to hear. And it was a horrible thing for them to hear. And often, though, in the Bible, this is a common thing you're going to see with prophecy. In Bible prophecy, whenever there are prophecies of doom and gloom, contained in those prophecies about doom and gloom are also prophecies about redemption and hope. So while chapter 3 ended really bad, we're about to start seeing um, some good. We're about to start seeing some salvation you could say, uh, when it comes to certain things. It's kind of like Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23, in many ways, you could say is prophetic for the wages of sin is death. That's doom and gloom. We understand that's prophetic in the sense that if you've ever sinned, you are going to hell. That's super bad. But there's also a prophecy of hope and redemption. And we, and, and you know, so for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that happens a lot in prophecies where some of the most negative prophecies have some of the most positive promises in there. And, um, and, we're about, and so we're going to start seeing some of that. And while there's still going to be some negative coming, we're going to see some good things too. We're going to see some messianic prophecies. But uh, before we go into this prophecy, a few things we got to establish. First off is that uh, when it comes to Old Covenant prophecies, very important everybody gets this, Old Covenant prophecies will be fulfilled. Okay? People accuse us of saying God's not going to keep His promises that He made to Israel. No, He's going to keep His promises that He made, but those prophecies are fulfilled not through a physical people, not through a, a people who are of the works of the law, but through a person who was of Israel, a person who did fulfill the works of the law, a person named Jesus Christ. These things will be fulfilled, and Jesus is the mediator, mediator of the new and better covenant. So all the people of the old covenant were under the curse because they violated God's law, but Jesus is the mediator of that new covenant that takes care of the many that were before the cross, and it takes care of whosoever will after the cross. So all the fulfillments of prophecies are going to be fulfilled through Jesus Christ, which was not revealed yet during this time. So keep that in mind. Also, this means the promises will still be fulfilled, but it just might it might look a little different than from what you would have expected by reading the prophecy by itself in the Old Testament. And again, a lot of things were in shadows. There were things that were not yet revealed. And often when people interpret Old Testament prophecies, they look at them as if the Jews fulfilled the Old Covenant when they did not. But no, we got to look at them understanding, no, Jesus fulfilled those things and still made a way of redemption and salvation for them. So things might look a little different than what you would have expected on the surface. You could, in Galatians 3.19, it says, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. 
For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So basically what, you know, what he's saying here is that, hey, there's nothing in the law that's contrary to what we're, what we're preaching to you here. In fact, righteousness, it's not something that comes from the law. It's something that comes through faith. It's something that comes through Jesus Christ. We didn't understand these things before we had faith. We were shut up uh, by these things, but, but later they were revealed. So it is, it's very foolish, and, and you're going to confuse yourself like crazy if you read Old Testament prophecies ignoring things that have been revealed in the New Testament. It's, it's going to really mesh all up. And so, it is a fact, God will always keep His promises, but the big question we always have to ask is how will God keep His promise? Through the law or through Christ? And so what we're going to do is we go through this chapter, we're going to see all these things that God promises, and often people will look at these things in a way as though the fulfillment is going to come through the law. Therefore, they keep all the focus on the Jews. But the truth is, we understand, no, God has concluded all under sin. In Romans 11, it says he had concluded all them, referring to the Jews in unrighteousness, that he might have mercy upon all. So we understand God's going to keep his promises, but not through the law, but he's going to do it through, he's going to do it through Jesus Christ. That's how it gets done. So don't look at Micah and read it looking for a fulfillment through the law, which would be through a physical people, but look at it as it's fulfilled through Jesus Christ because we know now that is how God was going to fulfill these things and keep these promises. And also, under the new covenant, we will see that spiritual fulfillment has already taken place while the physical is still yet to come. I do believe in some coming physical promises that were prophesied in the Old Testament, talked about in the New Testament, but at the same time, it's not technically right, and it can sound really bad to say these things have not happened yet. For example, I am saved. God saved me, past tense. But at the same time, you know, I, that's spiritual. Okay? I don't have a glorified body yet. I still have sin in my life, but yet I say God has washed me from my sins. Well, if I'm going to wash from my sins, then how come I still sin? Again, I have the spiritual fulfillment of that right now, but one of these days I'm going to have the physical fulfillment where Jesus Christ is going to return and he is going to change my vile body. And you know what you could say on that day? He's going to save me physically, but I'm already saved spiritually. It's not wrong to say that. So we're going to look at the, uh, so keep all these things in mind. And so I do believe the passage we are about to look at has already been fulfilled spiritually, but I do believe in a coming physical fulfillment through and that God will fulfill through a people who have been resurrected, who have been glorified, not an ethnic group that's out there today. Don't believe that at all. So let's start reading in verse 1. It says, But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord should be established in the top of the mountain, and it should be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. 
and people look at that and all right, last days, all right, so we're still looking for this to come. This is still in the future, right? Well, not really, because Hebrews 1 1 says, God who at sundry time and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the Gentiles by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So the truth is, the last days are already here. The last days are already here. And what we are looking at here in verse 1 has already happened spiritually. This has already taken place through Christ. We see in um, the full... Because notice too, it mentions the, the mountain of the house of the Lord. Now, is that a mountain over in Jerusalem that he's talking about? Well... We got to remember some things have been revealed in the New Testament. We see in Hebrews 12:22 it says, "But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels." Now, folks, I have been to Jerusalem. I spent a lot of time in Jerusalem last year. There's nothing great about that place. That city is a mess. It's a place of bondage. Paul called it a place of bondage in his day while the temple was still standing. But you know, the truth is, the Zion that we're talking about, the Zion that God is going to fulfill, Micah 4, 1 through, it's a heavenly Mount Zion. It's one that's in, it's in heaven. It's one that's referred to in Revelation. Jesus Christ is standing there on Mount Zion with 144,000. There's a Mount Zion in heaven. And so the truth is, I'm not really looking for anything special on a Mount Zion and earth, even though I do think there may be a fulfillment of that too in the millennium when Christ returns, that he may very well rule from that mountain. But either way, I I believe this is taking place. It says, and many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths for the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So notice that again, under this old covenant and Boy, we don't have time to go into all the prophecies about the instructions from Ezekiel and uh, Jeremiah and Zechariah about all the things that they were supposed to do through the law that they failed to do. But the truth is, many nations are coming to the heavenly Jerusalem, aren't they? Isn't that what we're a part of? Isn't that what we are inviting people to be a part of? And many nations are coming to Mount Zion, but it's a heavenly Mount Zion, not a physical Mount Zion. I'm not trying to draw people to a mountain in the Middle East that's just a, a dump heap, literally a dump heap of waste that they have just been digging up for years now. That, that's all it is. But no, we're bringing people to the heavenly Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem that was spoken of in, <clears throat> in Hebrews. Now we see also in John 4:19, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. But Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Now, in Micah, it wasn't revealed how God was going to fulfill that verse, but we do see that Jesus showed that, you know what? The time's coming, and folks, that time came. 
where we don't need to go to Jerusalem to worship anymore. When I was going to Israel, when I was at the airport, I was waiting for the plane and I w- walked by this one area and, the way, uh, and there was a, a Muslim guy you know, with his blanket out praying towards Mecca. It was really kind of weird. Uh, you, know, you know, we don't have to pray towards Jerusalem. We don't have to pray towards any place. The Jews used to pray towards Jerusalem when the temple was there. They were supposed to do that. But, you know, we don't have to pray in any direction. We can pray whatever direction we want. You know why? Because we're about a spiritual Jerusalem. And we are. And many nations are coming to that spiritual mountain. We, and so verse 2 says, And many nations shall come and say, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and He will teach us of His ways, and we will walk in His paths. For the law shall go forth out of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And we are proof that many nations have come. And we see in Revelation 7, 9, After this be... I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and crowded with a loud voice saying salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb. People from all over the world are going to be there all united in one place in that day in the future. So again, I do see a physical fulfillment taking place in the future. But again, spiritually, these things have already happened. And so verse three, and he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn more war anymore. Now, when you look at that, I mean, that just screams millennium, doesn't it? I mean, when you read a verse like that and you see them beating their swords into plowshares, Everyone thinks millennium. And you know what? If that's what you think, you're absolutely right. That's exactly what you should think. That's exactly what that's teaching. I do believe in a literal uh, thousand-year millennial reign of Christ coming in the future. But let me tell you something. Spiritually, that's already happened too. We see in Romans 14, verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, you say, are we sure we have that right now? Well, folks, physically, the Christians have always been at war. Physically, the Christians have always been in tribulation since the time of Christ. If you want to know the tribulation period, it's from the time of Christ until Jesus Christ comes back. That's the, that's the tribulation. Okay? We, uh, we're, we've been appointed in tribulation. But do you understand all that's physical? But what did Jesus say? In me, you have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. So when it comes to the spiritual kingdom, we are at peace. We, folks, we can't, be, we can't be taken from that kingdom. We can't be defeated and destroyed. But we can be destroyed physically, but spiritually they can't touch us. So understand, this has been fulfilled spiritually, but again, there is a physical fulfillment coming. And it's going to be with those who are resurrected. We will experience a physical fulfillment of this because we will be a part of the millennium. Those who don't take the mark of the beast, they're going to, they're going to uh, rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years, the Bible says. So, um, yes, so spiritually we have peace. When you read those verses in the, in the Old Testament that sound very you know, much about the millennium, they probably are. But pay extra close attention to them and understand that that's where we already are spiritually. We're already, we already have all those things spiritually. It's important that we, that we never forget that. So verse 4, 
But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make him afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts hath spoken it. For all the people will walk every one in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And what that sounds like to me, it sounds like when we get saved, we're saved forever. It sounds like we don't have to worry about being cut off from our inheritance. And understand too, what Micah had just prophesied before this is basically when it came to their physical inheritance, we talked about this in chapter 2, they were going to lose it. They were going to lose the boundaries of those things. They weren't going to know where these things were. They were going to lose their prized possession, that house of the Lord, that Mount Zion. They were like, you're going to lose all of that. But then he's telling us about this Mount Zion. He's telling us about all these things that are going to come for them in the future. And notice the things that he's talking about that are to come. He's like, you're never going to lose those things. And we never lose the spiritual things that we gain from our faith in Christ. And so uh, how, how do we get all these things that are claimed here? We get it through believing on Christ. And once we have them, we are, we are at rest, spiritually speaking. So the world's going to hate us. We'll always have physical battles. We'll always be dealing with our flesh as long as we have it. But spiritually, what we have, the Lord is reigning in Mount Zion henceforth even forever. We're at total peace there. And I, I think, you know, the, you know, while I understand this is a prophetic passage, it's, it's a dark passage, it, to me it's just one more thing that proves eternal security and shows that eternal security is what it's always been about. And so, verse, um, I already read verse 6 and 7. So we as Gentiles, um, oh no, I didn't read verse 6. And so in that day, saith the Lord, will I assemble her that halteth, and I will gather her that is driven out. And her that I have afflicted. And I will make her that halted a remnant. And her that was cast far off a strong nation. And the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. Now, what's he talking about here? Well, again, under the law, there were a lot of things, even physical things, that would cause you to be excluded from the things of the temple. And here we see the Lord is basically saying, I'm going to make her that halteth a part of the remnant. Those who are cast off, he said, I'm going to turn them into a strong nation. So basically, he's, he's giving a promise that those who at one time were excluded from things, he's going to include them and make them a strong nation. And did you realize that we as Gentiles are a part of that fulfillment? Because the things of the law excluded us. But Jesus broke down that middle wall partition and made us nigh by the blood of Christ. And so we claim all these things. We have access to this, this new Jerusalem. We have access to this heavenly Mount Zion. We have access through our high priest, Jesus Christ. We have all these things right now. Luke 14, 21 says, So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room and the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. And boy, we won't take the time to go into the context of that parable. But again, the context of that parable is Jesus dealing with a bunch of self-righteous Jews that are looking down on all these other people that they felt were excluded from the things of God because of their failure in following the law of God, because they were too rotten, because they were too sinful. And Jesus, just like in the prophecy of Micah, he said, you know what? Go out and get those people. 
I'm going to bring them in. I want my house to be filled and it's going to be filled with people like them. And that's, folks, that's who we are. That is who we are. So again, these verses have already had a spiritual fulfillment. We are in the last days. We've been in the last days for the last 2,000 years. So verse 8, And thou, O tower of the flock, that stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the slaughter of Jerusalem. And the kingdom, it did come to Jerusalem already, but you know what happened? Okay, and we're allowed to look at this because the Bible tells us this. Jesus said this. Okay, it says in Matthew twelve twenty eight, but if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. So the kingdom of God, it came to Israel when Jesus was here on earth. But does anybody what remember what Jesus said because they rejected him? He, what did he say? The kingdom is taken from you and given to another nation. So again, God kept his promise. The kingdom came to them. They rejected it, but, and, and it went to another nation. And so we are the fulfillment of that. But here's the thing too. Even the Jews aren't excluded from that new kingdom because if they, they can be grafted back into the olive tree if they will abide not still in unbelief. So again, I... I it's very frustrating when people try to tell me that what I'm teaching teaches that God's going to break his promise to the Jews. It's like, no, this, I'm just showing you how he kept his promise to the Jews. Uh, that, that, that's, all, that's all we're doing. You guys are, are changing the prophecies of the Bible. You're, you're ignoring a lot of things that are really important. And so uh, Matthew, or Micah 4.9 says, Now why dost thou cry aloud? Is there no king in thee? Is thy counselor perished? For pangs have taken thee as a woman in travail. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. For now shalt thou go forth out of the city, and thou shalt dwell in the field, and thou shalt even go, or thou shalt go even to Babylon. There shalt thou be delivered. There the Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. And so while he offered them some good news, and he's been, I mean, so far, this chapter sounds pretty good, you know, right after he dropped a major bomb on him in the last chapter. But now he's kind of back to the bad news. Okay, right now he's back to talking about more of the trouble that's coming. Because understand, there was physical trouble that was going to come. That, that was clear. Okay? But again, it, uh, there was always in those prophecies a place of hope and salvation but the problem is, if people aren't going to accept that, if they're not going to repent, if they're not going to believe what God says about these things, then they're not going to get any of the good promises. The good promises are the, go to those who are of faith. And those who reject that truth, those who will not have faith, they get the bad end of everything. And so he's he, uh, right here where he, he's telling them, you're going to go even to Babylon. And that happened, didn't it? We can read about that in Daniel chapter 1 specifically. It mentions many of the people that came into Babylon and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are named. They were part of those people that were taken captive, that were brought into Babylon. If you read, uh, I think, the book of Esther, and if you read, I think, in Second Chronicles, there's, there's several different places in the Bible where it just it gives a whole list of names. It's just one of those passages where you're reading all these names. And what's it, what it's doing, it's showing all the people that went into Babylon. 
And just like God said was going to happen, it was part of their judgment. They were going to be judged. They were, it was going to be like a woman in travail. They're going to be in pain. They're going to bring forth like a woman in travail. So again, a lot of bad stuff was going to happen. A lot of bad stuff was going to happen. But again, even when they would go through these bad things, God was going to produce some good things out of it. And, and God often uses the um, example of a woman in travail. Okay? And while all the ladies will be able to relate with this, I mean, you know, why does it always use that? Well, because that's a pretty intense pain. Okay? That's tribulation, you could say. You know, but at the same time, you know, what comes from that pain makes it all worth it. You know, and so, so the thing is, while no lady enjoys the thought of going through the pains of childbirth, ladies still get excited when they find out they're going to have a baby. It's like, wait, why are you excited about having a baby? Don't you realize you're going to suffer and have to get, go, go through labor? You know, that, that's hard. But again, you don't, you don't really think about that. You know, it's like people, too, who act like we're taking away their blessed hope when we talk about going through the tribulation. And it's just like, you know, that's like telling a lady... She has no right to be excited about having a baby because she has to go through tribulation first. It doesn't make sense. No, some of us are so focused on Jesus Christ, you know, while we're not particularly looking forward to bad things and hard times, you know, we're okay with it. You know, we're, we're okay because of the, the joy that's going to come from that. And just like when a woman has a baby, how all of a sudden they're, it's like they're immediately happy. And, you know, and they talk about hormones and everything that happened. I'm sure there's some science to that, too. But at, at, at the same time, you know, just like when my wife had the last couple of babies, now I'm just kind of, you know, and, and then, you know, because I'm thinking she's going to die or something. And then all of a sudden, like 30 seconds later, she's just talking, oh, this is, this is great. you know, acting all wonderful. I'm just like, how, how do you go from, you know, that to that? I don't understand that. I don't want to understand that. But it's just like, you know, me, because I'm, I'm still, you know, it, it, you know when, when I get upset, you know, it, it takes time. You know, God, you know, guys, we don't have those mood swings like the ladies do. But I mean, I'm telling you, the last couple of babies she had, the mood swing was huge. It was, it was huge. And so, you know, what do we learn from that? Well, it just gives me hope because, again, that's what's going to happen. No matter how bad it is before Jesus Christ comes back, no matter what it is we go through, what we are going to get is going to be so good. When we get to heaven, I don't think we're going to complain about the troubles that we went through. I, I think when we get to heaven and we finally see Jesus, I don't think we're going to be like, man, I'm still, my head's still spinning from all that tribulation I went through. I can't believe I had to go through that to get to this. I don't, you know, I don't think anybody's going to do that when they get to heaven. And you know, just like no lady looks at her baby and is just like, Really? This is all I'm getting for all that labor I went through? No. It's always, ah, yeah, it's, it's always excitement, joy, tears, all those things. That's, that's what typically happens. But, again, but, you know, it, the, the, the pain's still real. And Israel, there's some bad things that have been pronounced on them. But there can be good. You know, the Bible, too, it, it talks about, um, I don't have any of the verses in front of me, but, um, you know, when one of the most horrible things a woman can go through is going through the pains of delivery and the baby not making it and um, you know stillbirths things like that I mean th- that is a very very traumatic situation for, for a lady and, and 
you know, my heart goes out to every woman who's ever faced that. I, I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to, to go through all that tribulation and then to not have anything. You know, and you know, we should always, our hearts should always go out to people uh, like that. And understand, though, that's how it's going to be for the world. Because our world goes through tribulation. Our world has travail too, but they get nothing out of it. They get nothing but sorrow out of it. We go through tribulations. We go through some travail. Sometimes it might even be worse than what the world goes through. They might have a lot of good things like the rich man. You know, the rich man, he had good things in his life. Lazarus had evil things, but look at how it ended for them. So uh, always keep those things in mind whenever you are uh, in any kind of travail. So verse 11 says, Now also many nations are gathered against thee that say, Let her be defiled and let her eye Look upon Zion. So he's back to, you know, yet your city's going to be gone. And uh, there's a lot of people getting ready. They're looking at your city. They're going to take you down. Remember Hezekiah? And it was, it was around this time, probably, it was probably, it was actually probably shortly after this. Hezekiah was, uh, while well, he did some good things, he made some bad mistakes too. But remember when he's showing the Babylonians? All the treasures of the house of the Lord. Now, they didn't come take it in his day. But let me tell you, those Babylonians never forgot about those treasures that were there. You know, like, you know, we'd like to get our hands on those. And they did. They got their hands on those. And remember, they had their big drunken party with Belshazzar. And then there was the handwriting on the wall, all that stuff. But uh, again, uh, you know, this is, this is, I just tell you all that to show you. All that came to pass. Just like the prophet said. And so Zion is still going to go... Uh, is still going to go down. The enemies are going to see it. And that was one of the things they mentioned before. The thoughts of their enemies seeing these things too, it bothered them. You know, they, they, they didn't want to see that. So verse 12 says, But they know not the thoughts of the Lord, neither understand they His counsel, for He shall gather them as the sheaves into the floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make thine horn iron and I will make thy hoofs brass. And thou shalt beat in pieces many people, and I will consecrate their gain unto the Lord and their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. And so, what's, what's inter- interesting about that is while God has pronounced all this negativity, all this judgment, doom and gloom on them, He wanted them to know, but, but I'm still not finished with you. I'm, I'm still not finished with you. Now, a lot of people are going to read that. They read that passage right there. And I was like, see, God's still not done with Israel. But it's like, well, wait a minute. No, he restored them to the land. This is about the Babylonian captivity. And, and that happened. They were destroyed. But God restored them to the land. God had them rebuild their temple. Okay? All, the, all these things took place. So don't, ju- don't just read this and put everything into the future. No, understand these things have already been fulfilled spiritually. And let me tell you something. When it comes to the millennium... Um, I do not even come close to claiming to be an expert on the millennium, what all is going to go down. Here's what I believe. Anything that needs to physically be fulfilled in order to make the Bible right will be taken care of when Jesus gets here. You know, I'm not real worried about sorting all that out. I'm not really worried about make, you know, seeing what I can do to get everybody to beat their swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks right now. You know, I'm not trying to do that. Say, well, is that only spiritual or is it physical too? Well, I, th- I think it's both, but at the same time too, I'm not trying to get people to beat their swords into plowshares and spears and pruning hooks. I, I believe if that is physical, 
and it's my opinion that it is, that Jesus will make that happen when he shows up here on earth. Because I do believe he's coming back to earth. I absolutely believe he's coming back to earth. And so, never let somebody come along and just interpret these prophecies in a way that contradicts the clear teachings of the New Testament. We should always look at Old Testament prophecies in light of the things that God revealed in the New Testament and in light of what actually took place. Especially when we watch in the Bible some of these prophecies be fulfilled. We're allowed to take that into account and let it affect how we interpret that passage. And so, with that, let's go ahead and dismiss the word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this chapter, Lord. While there's some uh, negative things in it, Lord, we thank you for the hope that's in there. And Lord, there's a lot of negative things that are still yet to come, but we're thankful that uh, we can be saved from those things. And we're thankful, Lord, that even though we're in a world of tribulation, spiritually, we can have all these things right now that are things that can never be taken away. And we give you all the praise and glory for that. Bless the service coming up in the next hour. In your name we pray. Amen.